How's everybody doing? Thank you for the three people that were willing to share. Uh, let me ask again, how's everybody doing? All right, good. Uh, let's go straight to scripture. We're going to be spending time in the Gospel of Matthew, the fourth chapter, verse 18 to 22. It says this, while walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the gift that it is to gather together as your people under your authority uh, with expectant hearts as we come to your word and we are so eager and in need of you to speak to us. We want to meet you today. We want to encounter you today. We, we want to leave this gathering differently than the way we came in. Uh, we want to leave having met you, not just individually, but together as a people. And Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are here and you desire to fill this very room and our hearts with yourself, with your very presence. And you want us to see Jesus. And so we ask you to help us to see Jesus, to encounter him. And we thank you, Father, that we can meet you in the depths of your love and mercy and grace every time we approach your throne. So Lord, we, we thank you for this time. Uh, we pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen and amen. You know, as we dive into this text, um, it occurred to me that probably the clearest, most succinct way to understand history to interpret life is given to us by these two words, follow me. Now, it might not appear uh, clear at first, but actually when it comes to especially the Christian faith and understanding what it means for us to live and follow Jesus um, and to embody his teaching and to walk with him, you could interpret huge swaths of Christian history by asking the question, were God's people following him or were they not following him? Uh, when I think about uh, the civil rights movement and I can conjure the images of African-American Christians in the South protesting the injustices of segregation and dogs are being sicked on them and fire hoses and all these inhumane things, um, while they're calling out the inhumanity of what's happening, and they did it with poise, with dignity. They, were, they stood in the, in the face of oppression and yet came at it from a totally different vantage point. Uh, you cannot tell me that that makes sense outside of people following Jesus. They followed Jesus into those spaces. When I think about the history of our faith and how we have been at the forefront of uh, combating injustices, whether it was child labor laws in England, um, Christians have been at the heart of founding some of the best universities and hospitals that the world has ever seen. Um, uh, we have been in, in the forefront of so many moments that the world needed a clear witness that said, this is not how life should be. 
It's not how things were meant to be and that there's another kingdom that informs the way we live. In those moments, the question is very, can be answered very clearly. Oh, they're following Jesus. When people forgive, when people act toward others with mercy and grace, when there's reconciliation, when, uh, when you look at moments where you see radical generosity, um, like for all of our flaws and faults, Christians are among, in the world, among some of the most generous people um, that you'll ever meet. Are actually, it's been measured in various counties in, in the U.S., the generosity of churches, that actually if churches were removed from those counties, those counties would fall apart because there would be no other people giving sacrificially and serving with man hours and volunteering. In those moments, we see beautiful glimpses of what it looks like to follow Jesus. But we also have to be honest about our broken history, about the many moments that as Christians we have not followed Jesus. And when we've been complicit with systems of oppression, when we have covered up horrendous things because we want, didn't want to lose a seat at the table of power, uh, when we have uh, been hand in hand with awful things that have happened in the world and, and you cannot in, uh, like erase our participation out of it. We were there. We were part of it. We were not challenging it. At those moments, when you ask the question, were they following Jesus, we can clearly say no. Whether we're following Jesus or not, is such a powerful question for us to ask and for us to wrestle with, especially because when you strip all of this down, if you take away our music, our church buildings, if you take away our acts of justice and mercy in the world, if you take away our generosity and all the things that we try to embody, if you strip it down to its most simplest essence, all of this is the result of us saying yes to Jesus' invitation to follow him. That's the, the bare essence, like the core essence of Christianity is people like you and I saying, yes, I will follow you when Jesus invites us into this glorious invitation to follow him. And in this text, I, I gotta admit, for many years, especially when I first became a Christian, I read this text in kind of like a mystical way. It actually made no sense how I read it, how I interpreted it. Um, I, I'd never really slowed down to ask the question, do you believe that this is how it happened? Do you really believe that? Does that make sense? Because here's, here's how I would read this text. I would read this text that Jesus was just walking one day and he sees these brothers and they're in their boats because this is their vocation. This is how they provide for themselves and their families. And he walks by and he says, follow me. And they just immediately drop their nets and follow him. Now think about that for a moment. If some stranger walked by you one day and said, follow me, and you just looked at them and said, I don't know you, but I think this is a good life decision. <laughs> and you just dropped everything and started following them. That would be concerning behavior, wouldn't it? Like, at that point, someone needs to supervise you, you know? Like, don't leave them on their own. This is a bad decision. They can't just follow anybody who invites them. And the truth is, at this moment, the disciples 
weren't just randomly saying, yes, I'll follow this stranger. Because at this point, if you put all the gospels together, the story that unfolds is that at, by this point, the reputation of Jesus had already been out there. They had known him as a teacher. They had known him not just as a teacher, but their commentary was, this man teaches not like our other teachers. He teaches with a sense of authority. This is like teaching we've never seen. At this point, the miracle that he performed at the wedding at Cana had began to spread, and this miracle where he turned water into wine. And so by the time he passes these men and asks them and invites them to follow him, they had already had an awareness of who he was. So it wasn't mystical. It wasn't just like weird that they just dropped their nets. No, they had heard enough about Jesus that at this point, when he tells them to follow him, this was a really informed decision. He said, yes, we're gonna follow this man that we've been hearing teaches like someone that we've never heard of before and that he, God seems to be with him, that this is a supernatural man. Um, and so when they made the decision to drop their nets and follow him, it was an informed decision. But I will go a step further. It wasn't just an informed decision. It was actually quite a normal decision for this time because Jesus was doing something that already existed before he began to do it. He was basically doing what rabbis at that time were known for doing, which is that they would handpick followers that would come and be with them, do life with them, live with them, embody their teaching, spend every waking moment with them for a number of years often. And then eventually, after that apprenticeship, those disciples would then give, were given authority to say, now go and make your own disciples. And so by the time Jesus shows up and he invites them to follow him, when he does this, this was the same reflex that people of that time in that culture um, would have had if a rabbi invited them to follow him. And now just to be even, to go even deeper, this moment, this kind of an invitation was probably one of the most honored things that could ever happen to you in life. Because not everyone was told to follow a rabbi. Only the very, very select few. And typically, it was people that had some type of means. They were, they were among the more educated of their, of their neighbors. It, there was a certain degree of status um, and, and like elitism. And along comes Jesus, and he invites fishermen, common people, people who had normal jobs, uh, people who were not the, the powerful or the elite in, in society. And then later on, it gets even more scandalous. He invites a tax collector, someone who was absolutely hated among the community because tax collectors were Jews who were working for Rome, and so they were seen as betrayers. And Jesus invites these scandalous people that people didn't want any association with and says, come follow me. And so when they hear this honored invitation, why was it so honored? Because in the Jewish educational system, by the time someone was called to follow a rabbi, they had had to go through quite a journey. Let me break it down for us. So education 
at that time for Jewish young people would typically start at the age of five. And there was a house that uh, normally was right next to the synagogue. And this house was called the house of the book. And in the house of the book, children at the age of five would be with a scribe uh, or, or some type of teacher that would do this full time. And their job was from the age of five to the age of 12, they would instruct these young people in the law. And now hear this. This was an oral society. Um, that, and so this is how they communicated and memorized and passed on information through the transmission of oral history and oral facts. By the age from five to 12, they were expected to memorize the first five books of the Bible. Now, I just, for perspective, imagine memorizing the entire book of Genesis and then adding the book of Exodus <laughs> to that. And then you know what? While you're on a roll, add the book of Leviticus. And it, hey, just for fun, add the book of Numbers. And then the last cherry on top, add the book of Deuteronomy. This, these are some of the biggest books in the Bible. Some like lengthy depth that's there. And so this was just for everybody who was being educated. This was the expectation. By the time you're done, you know this by memory. Now there's another level. Now in this level, it was called the house of learning, the Midrash. And there, from the age of 12 to 17, they were expected to memorize the entire Old Testament. The entire, this, I, some of y'all, I don't know if you're impressed or you're like catatonic or I don't know, this is like, <laughs> this is nuts. I, I mean, think about these days, like we barely memorize anything. Um, you know, like we have apps that remember our passwords for us. Like, think about it. It's, it's a scary thought. If someone came up to you and said, tell me your password right now for your Netflix account. I take your life. You're like, oh, no, I'm gone. You know, like <laughs> at that moment, you're like, this is what took me out. Because you don't know it. You don't know it. it like it, Apple said, use strong suggested. You're like, yeah, sure. You know, and you don't know it. We don't memorize anything. They were memorizing the entire Old Testament. And then from those people that got to that level, at that moment, the, the herd thinned out even more. The vast majority of folks that got to that level were basically told, all right, you know the word of God, now here's what you're gonna do. Go and start families, work on the farm, start a business, be an incredible citizen in this world as you follow God. And the creme de la creme, the cream of the top, the very, very few that rose to the very top, those folks, and even some of them, like a smaller subset of that group, would get the honored invitation by a rabbi to say, come and follow me. That, like, that was the modern day equivalent of getting accepted to the top school imaginable. Come follow me. And so by the time Jesus shows up, it's important to, to realize Jesus didn't invent discipleship. It existed. They understood it. There was a frame. 
but he invites them into discipleship, into apprenticeship with him. And back then, if a rabbi invited you to follow them, you know what it meant? It meant you stopped everything you were doing, whatever you were doing at that time, vocation, whatever, and you lived with that rabbi for a number of years. So much so that there was a, a, an expression back then, a common expression that captured how close you were to follow your rabbi. And the expression was, may the dust from my rabbi's feet fall upon me. It, it's this image of you're following so closely that in those dusty Jerusalem roads that you were followed so closely that the dust from their feet was able to get upon you because you were that close in proximity, hearing their teaching, seeing them live. Why, do, why, why is it important for us to understand that? Especially now. Because in this day and age, we need to be aware of the fact that for many of us, what we were told Christianity was is believe certain things about Jesus and that's where Christianity begins and ends. And so you could, in good conscience, if someone says, are you a Christian? And you could say yes. And in your mind, you would be saying yes because you would say, I believe the Bible is the word of God. I believe Jesus is the son of God. I believe he died and rose from the dead. All true things. And yet, that is the most incomplete, truncated invitation of discipleship imaginable because when Jesus said, come follow me, he wasn't saying, come believe certain things about me and leave it at that. He was saying, come and follow me so closely that my life, my teaching, my example, you can see it so up close that it becomes internalized in you. That after a period of time, when you are sent out to go make your own disciples, that it will be somewhat indistinguishable between me and you. Because you will so closely resemble the one that you were following. And so for us in this room, it's important that we, that we do the work of capturing the full essence of what it means to follow Jesus and what he was truly inviting us into to make sure that we are not signing up for some truncated, reduced version of the Christian faith that Jesus never invited us into. He invited you and I not just to believe in him, but to apprentice after him, to learn from him, to walk closely with him, to obey him, and eventually to do the very things that he did. This is the invitation. You know, it's interesting in the, in the Gospels, there's actually kind of, um, it shows up multiple times. In the Gospels, there'll be different instances where the different writers of the Gospels will use the terminology of say, it would say, and there were crowds, and then within the crowds, the author of, of whatever that Gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, will distinguish and say there was people that were in part of the crowds, and then there was this group called the disciples. And they could be together at the same time, but they were completely distinct. And so the disciples could be in the crowd, but the crowds were never confused as part of being part of the disciples. So there were people during Jesus' time 
that would, at various moments, three and a half years of ministry, they gathered around Jesus probably multiple times. There were some people that gathered to hear him teach probably a few times in their life um, during that, that span of time. They gathered and they saw miracles that he did uh, several times. And they gathered around Jesus, they gathered around his teaching, but yet were never considered to be disciples. Because at most, they were in proximity to him teaching, but they heard him, but they never crossed the line of saying, I'm going to follow him by letting go of everything. When I think about us here in this church, and when I think about our city and the complexity of life here and all the demanding needs, you know the last thing our city needs is more crowd Christians. The last thing New York needs is more people who just regularly gather around Jesus but have not made the decision to fully follow him. To say, yes, I want to be his apprentice. Jesus did not do everything he did to make possible just for us to gather around his name and his teaching a couple times a week. He did everything he did to make possible this amazing, dynamic, living relationship that we can have with him, that we get to structure our lives around his invitation to be his apprentice, that at the core of our lives, we're trying to be with Jesus, we're trying to obey Jesus, and we're trying to do the things that Jesus did. That's what he came to do. That's what he's making possible. And how, how like sad and unfortunate that we, that beautiful invitation has been reduced to just believe a certain amount of things. Now, I want to be clear. All the being with Jesus, obeying Jesus, and doing the things that Jesus did isn't possible without believing who Jesus is. And so believing is important because here's the, here's the baseline truth. Being a disciple of Jesus doesn't save any of us. Now that, you're like, well, I don't know about that. Well, explain more. That, that, hear, hear me say it again. You being a disciple of Jesus, that's not what saves you. In other words, if you wake up one day and someone says, are you saved? Has God saved you? And your answer is, yes. Here's why I know I'm saved. I structure my life around being with Jesus. I obey Jesus. And I do the things that Jesus do, tells me to do and because of that I'm saved, that would be completely erroneous. Because in order to be with Jesus, obey Jesus, and do the things that Jesus did, the foundation of our life would have to be that we believe he is who he is, that we believe the gospel, we believe the good news of God's grace, but we believe it in a way that doesn't just get siloed in like a reference spot in our minds, in the library of our soul, and, and I believe this and it's there, but actually believe it in such a way that it animates our life. It affects, it impacts our affections, our mind, our, the, what, the things that we do. It's, it's this it's head, heart, hands, whole transform, transformative process where it's not just I believe something and that's it, but because I believe that Jesus is who he says he is, I structure my life, I architect my life in such a way that I build it around this commitment to being with him, obeying him, and doing the things that he did. And so Jesus is inviting us to be his disciples.
And so today, we're beginning a brand new sermon series. But it's not necessarily new because it's actually a continuation of a sermon series we introduced last year. And this sermon series was called Sankofa. And it's from this African proverb that describes a bird that's walking forward while it's looking back. And it's this, the, the idea of this series is that for you and I, in order for us to walk forward with Jesus, one of the things that we have to learn to do is look back at others who walked with Jesus and see what was showing up in their life. What were their commitments, their rhythms, their disciplines that tethered their life closely to Jesus and figure out how we can prioritize those same priorities as we commit to follow Jesus. And so last year, we talked about uh, spiritual disciplines of Sabbath and prayer and study. And, and this year, we're going to talk about some new spiritual disciplines. Um, and, and, but all of this is all around the idea of being apprentices of Jesus, being the type of people that structure our lives around this commitment to be with Jesus, to obey him, and to do the things that he did because we believe he is who he says he is. And so, beginning today up until Easter, we're gonna be in this series, and I wanna invite our entire church to take on a posture during this series, a posture that says, I'm willing to restructure my life. I'm willing to change my disciplines, to change my habits, so that I could actually look at my life and say, my life looks like someone who is saying that they want to be Jesus' apprentice. That I see evidence in my life that I, I, I manage my time a certain way, I do certain things throughout my day, I structure my weeks, my months, my year in some very particular ways because I've made a commitment to be with Jesus, to obey Jesus, and to do the things that Jesus did as one of his disciples. And so this series, uh, just to prepare yourself, you're not just gonna be told uh, about things that hopefully you'll do one day. You're gonna be invited to practice things now over the course of these many weeks. It's gonna be an exciting series in that you're gonna be given tools and then invited to actually put it into practice. And by the time this series is over, you won't just be someone that has heard about the discipline of reading scripture, you'll be someone that actually structured your day, your life around the discipline of reading scripture. You won't just be someone that heard about the discipline of silence and solitude, you'll be someone in this noisy city, you'll be someone that goes the opposite route and cultivates silence and befriends silence in order to be with Jesus. All the things that we're gonna be teaching on, you're gonna be invited to apply and for it to show up in your life so that together we can grow as disciples of Jesus. People who are architecting their life, structuring their life around these commitments of being with Jesus, obeying him, and doing the things that he's calling us to do. At the heart of this series, last year and this year, we called our church to a time of fasting and prayer. Last year, we called our church to a, a seven-day period of fasting and prayer. And this year, we're actually calling our church to a 10-day period of fasting and prayer. 
This fasting and prayer season will start Thursday, March 21st, and will go till Saturday, March 30th. So right before Easter. And so here's what we're inviting you to do from now till then. Number one, if you go on our website right now, you'll see a tab that says 10 day. And on that tab, encourage you to, to click on it and read and access any of the resources that would be helpful for you. Maybe you've never fasted before and you don't know how to engage in it. And I think it's actually really important for you to understand why we fast as a society um, versus how, why we fast as Christians. Because uh, this is not fasting so that you know, you'd lose a few pounds or whatever, uh, uh, all the reasons why society would encourage you to fast because you're trying to you know, regulate your pH balance with your whatever. You know, no, this is fasting for the sake of tethering our lives closer to Jesus. That's very different. And so there's sermons on that web, on that, uh, webpage, um, PDFs that you could read. Uh, also, we're going to have a resource for you that for every single of those 10 days, you'll have like a, a devotional guide that will prompt you into various moments of prayer throughout those 10 days. And so from now till when that fast starts, here's your homework assignment. We invite you to discern with God what type of fast he would be calling you to take during that time. We're not being prescriptive. We're not saying everyone should fast this way. No, we want you to actually discern, seek God, ask him what kind of fast should I engage in during this time. Some folks I know will fast like a complete fast, no food. Um, uh, some, maybe it'll be a juice fast or vegetables only. Some, it'll be a partial fast. There's all sorts of ways. And some, their fast will look different. Maybe it's a social media fast or a screen fast or, uh, or they're fasting whatever kind. It, at the end of the day, as you discern whatever God puts in your heart, it will be sacrificial. It will require denial. Um, it, so if you, ever, if you ever get the thought in your mind like, you know, that fasting is just this easy thing, um, then you're probably not doing it right <laughs> because it's, it's difficult. It's, it it's reorients your life. It, it comes against our own natural inclinations and our appetites. And it says, I'm going to put that aside, my base needs, in order for me to create more margin in my life to be with God. And so it's a challenging thing. But God is with us during that. And he uses seasons of fasting in his word and throughout history to do deep, deep work in our hearts. And so from now till March 21st, discern what kind of fast you're going to engage in, but also look at your life during those days. And so if you know you're going to be fasting, but you know that there's like some optional party during those 10 days, again, not trying to be prescriptive, but maybe you want to take a look at that. Maybe you want to ask, you know, can I do both? Um, or maybe I need to bow out of something or restructure my life. You have time, I have time, to structure things in such a way that we could really maximize those 10 days together as a church. I, I don't know about you, but as a, it, it, when I think about the invitation that Jesus has extended to us, it absolutely is the most riveting thing ever. Any other invitation that you and I were to, were to ever receive pales in comparison. 
If, if you went home today and you saw an invitation from your favorite celebrity, your favorite athlete, um, your favorite person in history, alive or, or dead or whatever, and you were invited to hang out with that person, it would pale in comparison to the invitation that is standing right now from the living God that says, come follow me, be with me, learn to obey me, and learn to do the things that I did. I think about when I was 14 years old, September 26, 1994, is when I said yes to follow Jesus. And at that time in my life, the equivalent of these disciples, of their nets, of their vocations, of their father's business, them leaving it all to follow Jesus, my equivalent was all my friends. At that point, I had been hanging out with some of these guys for years, and we were, uh, unfortunately, deep in some stuff in the streets. And so I had sold drugs a number of times at that point, smoked too much weed at that point, uh, just running the streets, doing what uh, folks were doing in my neighborhood at that time. That was normal life. And from one moment to the next, I had zero friends. It's not that I invite them. I invited all of them. I boldly invited all of them. Come, come follow Jesus with me. And one by one, they're like, hey, we're so glad, we respect it, but we're not. And I remember one really pivotal conversation. This guy was my best friend. He's like a brother to me. And he called me up one night, a few weeks into me being a follower of Jesus, and he actually got emotional. And he was like, Chris, don't leave. There's so much we could still do, so much money we could still make, so, so many girls we could be with. All the, don't leave. And I remember my response. I was 14. I didn't realize how heavy of a decision I was managing at that age that would change the course of my life. And I told them this, I said, if I was confident that if I left today that I would be guaranteed of finding Jesus later on in my life, then I might take that chance. But the thought that if I leave Jesus now that I may never find him again, it's not worth it. So if you want to follow Jesus with me, I would love that, but I'm not going to stop following him. And that was it. That was one of our last conversations. I, I lost for a teenager, you got to understand. Like these are your friends, this is all you have, all you think you have, you know, like my world is falling apart. And it was all gone in a moment. But what remained was this powerful invitation to follow Jesus to know him, to walk with him, to obey him. Jesus is extending that invitation to each of us. So during these next several weeks, let's prepare to fast in March. During these next several weeks, prepare to hear spiritual disciplines that you're going to be invited to practice and, and let them become part of your life as you restructure your life as someone who doesn't just believe in Jesus but actually lives your life as his apprentice. Perhaps one resource you could avail yourself is these discipleship groups that are going to start for men and women. It might be one way that Jesus kind of 
adds some logs into the fire and kind of gets your heart burning for him. Whatever it is during these next several weeks, imagine, and this is the dream for me, imagine fast forward in our future and our church looks less and less like a crowd for Jesus and more and more like a family of disciples where each of us is growing in a life that prioritizes, prioritizes being with Jesus, obeying Jesus, and doing the things that Jesus did. Imagine us showing up into our workplaces, our neighborhoods, our city as those kind of people, disciples, apprentices of Jesus. Those kind of people can change the world. Those kind of people can be salt and light in our dark and broken world. Those kind of people can be the hands and feet of Jesus that's, that speak the truth to power and, and, and give a voice to those who have no voice and advocacy and love and generosity and hospitality to people that are, that are uh, just disoriented in life and have no place to call home, that we can show up and be the presence of Jesus in those spaces. Imagine each of us growing as disciples of Jesus. That's the thrill of what's before us. And so, as we close, and as the worship team comes forward, I hope we're leaving here with a sense of clarity around our next steps. One next step is go to our website and get ready for this time of fasting and prayer that's coming up in March. Take time to discern what kind of fast God's inviting you into. Look at your schedule during those days. You have enough time to say, hey, I gotta reschedule that, I'm not gonna be able to do that, just so you could bake in more time to be with Jesus during those 10 days. Uh, you, you all have been invited and, uh, to join one of the info sessions that are coming up to be a part of these discipleship groups. And so that's something that I would strongly encourage you to consider, yourse consider for yourself and avail yourself of that. And as I shared, over these next several weeks, I want to encourage you, come every Sunday with like a posture that says, I'm going to learn some things that if applied, and if they keep showing up in my life, my life will more and more resemble the kind of life that is in the category of a disciple, not just someone who's in the crowd every now and then, but a disciple. That you structure your life around being with Jesus, obeying Jesus, and doing the things that Jesus calls us to do. Can I invite us to stand? And as we stand in these next few moments, this is an opportunity for us to just turn our hearts to God in prayer, in confession, in worship. Over these next uh, moments as we're singing and we're responding to God, the prayer team is in the back and they would love to pray with you for anything you need prayer for. Whether it was the words that were shared earlier, anything you came in with and you need prayer or anything the message might have stirred for you, all you have to do in these next few moments, slip out of your seat, go and receive prayer during this time. Could I invite us, could we all just raise our hands in the presence of God in a posture of surrender, in a posture of worship, 
where God, we come to lay down our nets. We come to lay down our vision for our life. And we say, God, we want your vision for our lives. A vision that only comes when we say, yes, I'll follow you. Jesus, we don't just want to believe in you in such a way that that belief doesn't spur a life of complete devotion, but we want to believe in you in a way that animates us to follow you fully. So Lord, we come to you now. Meet us, speak to us, and prepare our hearts for this season before us as a church, a season to grow as your disciples, as your apprentices. In Jesus' name, let's worship him in these next few moments. Tear down the walls I built up ever